Welcome back to another episode of Well Then. This is another health-focused episode, again, that was recorded last year, intended for the original season three, and now we've got this amazing new and improved season three where we're talking all about love alignment, love stories, working on our mental and emotional health, and ultimately just getting more connected to the most authentic version of ourselves. And throughout that work, focusing on our physical body is still important as well. So there's a few episodes from last year that I'm really excited to get the opportunity to to release. And this is one of them. Um, If you've been following me for a while, you know that I have a history of digestive issues and chronic health issues, and a lot of those health issues have led me to a deeper exploration of myself and internal work and have been kind of clues on the pathway of really finding my purpose. So I'm a big advocate for really using your body as a compass and a tool and getting in touch with the messages it's sending you. And uh, our digestion, especially as women, is often a big way that that happens. So today's guest is somebody I'm really excited to share with you guys. Her name is Phoebe Lapine. She is a best-selling and award-winning food and health writer, gluten-free chef, wellness expert, culinary instructor, and a Hashimoto's advocate and speaker. She shares recipes for healthy comfort food and insights about balanced lifestyle choices beyond what's on your plate. Through her own journey with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, she was able to find the middle ground between health and hedonism by making one lifestyle change one month at a time. And she is also the host of the SIBO Made Simple podcast, where she equips people with information on how they can overcome their own underlying gut issues. She also released last year her second book, SIBO Made Simple, which I have been using many recipes from. It is an amazing book with lots of of really helpful tips, tricks, and recipes in there, especially if you've dealt with gut issues. Um, And we go into a lot of detail in this episode about um, chronic health issues, why women are prone to more digestive issues, more about the microbiome, and kind of finding that balance between Um, wanting to take care of your body and sometimes needing to be on a restrictive diet for health reasons, but without becoming overly obsessive about it and still having a good relationship with food. So let's dive in and have you meet Phoebe. All right. Hi, Phoebe. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. There is so much in your background that I'm excited to dive into. Certainly a lot that I can relate to having struggled with, um, you know, chronic illness and digestive issues for most of my life. And I'm so excited to to dive more into your your book as well with the amazing recipes that I've been browsing through in there. Um, But before we kind of get started, I'd love if you share a little bit more about um, your story and your background and, and what led you to uh, want to share so much about, um, you know, wellness and delicious foods and advocating for health in general. Sure. Um, so yeah, I joined the chronic illness community and when I was 22 and was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, but at the time I had no desire to join this club. Not that anyone ever has a desire (laughs) to join this club, but you know, I had no idea what my thyroid was. I had no idea what an autoimmune disease was. And my doctors kind of explained it was not a big deal. Like, you know, very prevalent, especially 
among young women. And all I need to do is be on this medication for the rest of my life. And that just did not seem great to me. So I just left the office and pretended like the conversation never happened and Mm. went on living my life and kind of found out the hard way um, as I wound myself down to some sort of rock bottom, kind of what it all meant. Um, And so eventually I kind of got on board and saw a more holistic doctor. Um, you know, my symptoms at the time were just completely miserable. I was, you know, exhausted, which is the primary, you know, hypothyroid symptom. And, um, I, but I could, of course, couldn't sleep through the night. I was waking up with night sweats. Um, I couldn't exercise because I would get this horrible cramp every time I try and run. Um, my skin was a mess, which was kind of what, got me into another doctor's office in the first place. And, um, yeah, it it was, I was just had no interest in making any of the lifestyle changes that might be necessary. I was young and working as a chef and trying to get my career off the ground. And so the idea of having to, you know, change my diet was very, very daunting, but nonetheless, I did went on elimination diet, um, (laughs) tried to sort through all of the like incredibly long laundry list of other things that needed to be done. And this kind of just felt like, you know, denial segued into obsession in a way that wasn't really healthy either. Um, And if not obsession, at least overwhelm. Um, And so I kind of design, end up designing this year long project for myself, kind of off the back of Gretchen Rubin's book, The Happiness Project. Mine was called The Wellness Project. And it ended up becoming my second book. But I really just wanted to kind of tackle each of my problem areas one at a time and to do so like with the, with awareness and with the intention of really like figuring out what was worth my time, money, and energy. Um, not necessarily to do this crazy, like cumulative boot camp, but like by the end of the year, I just wanted to figure out like, what was my toolkit of self-care practices that really moved the needle? Um, and yeah, it really worked. I felt so much better afterwards and, you know, really had a handle on, you know, everything about Hashimoto's from my research. And then kind of fast forward to after the book came out, I like started to experience some mysterious IBS symptoms again. So I went back to my doctor and, you know, spoiler alert, ended up getting diagnosed with something called SIBO, um, which is the subject of my most recent book. Cause I really fell down the rabbit hole there, but, um, yeah, that seemed to like open a void into a completely other realm of chronic illness, yeah. um, both for people dealing with SIBO specifically, but also for these kind of layers upon layers of people with other chronic illness who also, you know, were at risk for SIBO and dealing with it. Um, so I kind of, you know, <laughs> learned a whole new set of gut health best practices from that research. And yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about today. There is so much, <laughs> so much good stuff in your story. I'm excited to dive into, especially with, you know, gut health. I know there's a lot of women who listen to this show who struggle with IBS and other GI issues and, and definitely want to get into that. But first I'm actually curious to hear, because this is something that I can so relate to the, the sort of journey or experience of having addressed and tackled one 
chronic illness and thinking like, okay, I've gotten the handle on this. Like I'm good to go now. I've built my toolkit. Like I know how to manage my symptoms and take care of myself and to feel like you're fine and then get totally knocked off course, you know, however long later, years later, when you get hit with a different version of chronic illness. Yeah. That has been so mentally challenging for me throughout my own journey. How has that process been for you? Oh, I mean, luckily I kind of wrote these kind of motivational statements in my own book that I now need to like go back to and like be like, yes, no, like healing is not a straight line. It's always one step forward, two steps back, like looking at my own catchphrases. Um, But no, it's really, really hard on a human level. And it's just so frustrating. Like there are just times of course, where you're going to feel like you've, you've reached your limit. Um, and then of course, you know, motivational phrases, like you're only given as much as you can handle and things like that will come to the surface to find you. Um, but no, it can really, really get tiring and you'll always just kind of question like, why can't this be easy? It's like easy for everyone else. Um, and unfortunately it's just like kind of, you know, the pros and cons of your own body, there are, believe it or not, some pros to having a highly sensitive, (laughs) really reactive body. Um, and then there are a lot of cons, um, and you just have to kind of try and remember, I think, and reconnect to, you know, what makes you special and you and kind of some of the silver linings of, of your illness. Um, for me, it's always been being able to, you know, create new resources for other people. Like, honestly, like what I do for a living has made getting through these setbacks so much easier, just knowing that I'm, I'm serving in some way. Um, I know that's not going to be everyone's silver lining, although I will say that when I first got diagnosed with SIBO, I had, you know, a lot of people come out of the woodwork who just like sent me their like spreadsheets and random research and what books they found helpful. And like, it was, it was incredible because, you know, sometimes that's, that's better than just weeding through all of the online information. Absolutely. And you, you do open yourself up to that sense of community when you, you know, open up about what you're going through, you can realize, okay, you're not the only one other people out there struggle and they've, they've actually, you know, learned and, and healed in many ways and kind of made it, made it through or made it to the other side. So that can be reassuring in itself. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's so important to address because there can be a lot of that, like, um, you know, look for the silver linings and you'll, you can, you can handle anything you're given and healing isn't linear, all those things that do help in some moments. And in other moments, it's okay to just be like, you know what, this sucks today. My body. Yeah. Yeah, Like why do I have (laughs) a sensitive body when other people are quote unquote normal, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, so it's nice to know that other people feel that way too sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's always something. I mean, I always, there's like literally every year, there's always something <laughs> changes and I learn more about myself and about health and all of that. But yeah, no, it, it does get exhausting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That acceptance that like, okay, my body is just going to keep changing and I'm just going to roll with the punches that in itself can be really kind of liberating because you're not trying to get so attached to like any one particular state of health. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about SIBO and GI issues. One thing that I know you've spoken about that I'd be um, curious for you to start with is why women in particular are more prone to experiencing digestive issues. 
Yeah. I mean, for so many reasons um, that are related to lifestyle and the pressures that women face, the amount of stress we're under, the lack of sleep, just like the sheer amount that's on our plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, so that's like kind of the emotional side, which translates to the physical, but then, you know, physically we're just, you know, finely calibrated <laughs> machines, more finely calibrated than our, our male counterparts, um, whose hormone mother hormonal motherboard is not quite as complex. And unfortunately that hormonal motherboard is so intertwined with the functions of our digestive system and with, you know, the health of our gut and our gut microbiome. Um, so with SIBO in particular, I feel like I learned a lot, um, cause I really, learn so much about just the way the machinery can go off the rails. And a lot of those ways have like risk factors that tie into certain hormonal imbalances. Um, estrogen dominance being one of them, which so affects our liver, which is just like the most central important figure and often overlooked figure in our digestive system. And then, you know, our thyroid hormones too. Um, if we don't have adequate, thyroid hormone, the active version T3, then it really prevents our uh, stomach acid from firing on all cylinders. It prevents like kind of our intestinal street sweeper wave from firing on all cylinders. And all of these things can contribute to, you know, kind of acute issues like SIBO or other forms of dysbiosis, just, you know, again, because your body's no longer working like a well-oiled machine when it comes to digestion. Um, and then, you know, if you just think about some of the issues that affect women more than men, I mean, and this all ties into probably, you know, all of the above, but, you know, autoimmune diseases, 75% women, um, like I mentioned the, the thyroid issues. I mean, that is like one in eight women has a thyroid issue. Um, endometriosis, one in 10 women of endometriosis, like you add all of these things up, it doesn't necessarily give an explanation, but you know, these things all translate to having some sort of gut distress or dysfunction. Um, and you know, it's kind of a chicken or the egg because gut dysfunction does put you at higher risk for some of these other issues. Um, but kind of one of the things that I can't emphasize enough in my most recent book is that everything is a vicious cycle. (laughs) And there are a lot of flow charts in this book that explain specifics of why. Yeah, absolutely. We, I think that you really hit the nail on the head with like, we just are much more complex beings and, and it's, it can be hard to strike that delicate balance at homeostasis sometimes. So for women who are, are struggling with any form of digestive issues, whether it's SIBO or IBS or leaky gut, what is kind of the first place or some of the first steps you would have them start in terms of, of making changes with their diet and lifestyle to, to just ultimately feel better? Yeah. I mean, I would say start with the lifestyle changes. I mean, ironically, when I was healing SIBO, like there was, of course, like the whole quote unquote kill protocol, like the antibiotics, the herbs, like all of that in order to kind of get rid of this like acute overgrowth in your small intestines. But in all of the other advice, you know, honestly, a lot of the stuff just kept coming back to the toolkit that I had built in the wellness project. You know, it's like 
of course, like sleep is so important for your digestive system. Mm -hmm. It's when your liver does all its work overnight, um, you know, cleaning your blood and leaves time for all these other chores, um, stress management, like stress has a huge correlation to both IBS and SIBO. Um, again, talk about something else that literally limits your stomach acid limits your intestinal motility. Um, hydration, so important movement, so important, um, just being out in the world and like exposing ourselves to different microbes and having, you know, some sort of diversity on the outside. So we can have that kind of type tolerance and diversity on the inside. Um, so I would say kind of getting all of the basics under control, so important, but then, you know, I would say, how you eat is much more important than what you eat. And of course, like what you eat, what you eat is going to be really, really different for each person, but all of us can kind of <laughs> zero in on these kind of mechanical rules of thumb since our bodies are designed, you know, in the same way in terms of how they digest food and are meant to function. Um, what our sensitivities boil down to, um, on the food front is, is hyper individual. Um, so some of those hows would be chewing your food first and foremost, which again, all this stuff sounds so simple and common sense and like the basics, but they really do make a difference. And so many of us suck at them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just drill down to that. Number one, chew your food. It's an essential part of the digestive process. Um, supporting stomach acid, I think is really, really important. Um, again, if you have Hashimoto's, if you're hyper stressed and a whole host of, of other reasons, um, lifestyle wise can mean that you're not producing enough stomach acid. I know the advertisements on television tell you otherwise, and also like just the sheer amount of proton pump inhibitors that are uh, prescribed in this country. But more, I mean, if you think about what what are all, what's the landscape for low stomach acid? The reality is most of us are dealing with low stomach acid, even when we're feeling those, um, symptoms of reflux and whatnot, it's kind of our stomach overcompensating for having too little. So if we can get that firing in all cylinders, either through supplementation or through, you know, just drinking a little bit of diluted lemon water, or apple cider vinegar before a meal to kind of wake things up. I think that's great. Um, let's see what else I, I, I think meal spacing is really important, um, especially for those who are prone to IBS and SIBO. Um, if you know, you're not in that camp and like eat lots of small meals throughout the day and eat late at night. And, you know, for some reason that works for you, that's fantastic. I'm really jealous. Um, right. but <laughs> there is a reason, you know, why we need these fasting states. And it's not necessarily, you know, what the intermittent fasting community will tell you, like you need these like 16 hours straight. That's not really the reality, but we do need time in between meals for our digestive system to like catch up and do its work. Um, so when I talk about like small intestinal motility, I'm really talking about this this nerve cell function called the migrating motor complex, um, which is essentially like the street sweeper wave of our small intestines that cleans up after a meal. And it only kind of kicks in during a fasting state of 90 minutes or more. So just knowing that, and also knowing that one of the main reasons why people get SIBO um, is because of a malfunction in this street sweeper wave. Um, you know, that kind of one of the best ways to support proper digestion and SIBO prevention or IBS prevention is to, you know, make sure that we're allowing that 
that function time to kick in. So that just means, you know, spacing our meals out maybe four or five hours between and not snacking as much. And again, like snacking is not something that like we need to do. Certainly not something that people did like in the 1600s or 1700s, something that we do now, you know, thanks to all of the advertisements on television that tell us that we need to. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that there, I'm glad you addressed that because um, people might not necessarily know you know, one part of it, what you said, how you actually can, can get SIBO and, um, then all the different elements of, of where to go once you get it. One thing that I'm sure people are curious about is kind of what the healing timeline looks like, which I know for many people is probably really individual, but what did your journey look like when it came to healing SIBO? Yeah. So, I mean, mine ironically was like as linear and easy kind of as it gets. And it was still really hard. And it still took me probably like a year to feel back to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I was diagnosed in like November and then I didn't want to deal with it over the holidays. <laughs> so I waited until like January to kind of get going with all of, um, the herbal protocol that my doctor had put me on. And that was about four weeks of herbs, um, which is a little bit longer. Oh no, I guess maybe it was six weeks. It was longer than what is ordinarily, um, prescribed. And kind of with that, I layered on a bit of a low FODMAP diet, um, kind of in, in broad strokes. And, then I got retested afterwards. I got had gotten rid of it, which was great. So I kind of moved on to this whole like second phase of just like healing the gut and kind of continuing a little bit with the low FIMAP diet, but slowly reintroducing foods in like a targeted way to see like what my my tipping point was since low FODMAP diet is is quantity specific, which can make the reintroduction a little bit more complicated than most therapeutic elim- uh, elimination diets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say like with all of that, there was just like a lot of, of kind of layering in those lifestyle things that just have to go hand in hand with healing. Like just making sure I was, you know, sleeping a ton, like doing a lot of self-care, taking a lot of baths, um, you know, allowing my detox pathways to open, um, layering in so many healing, you know, gut healing ingredients on top of, you know, trying to retrain my system to, cope with more diversity. And yeah, I would say like, it probably took until the end of that year, um, not for me to start like eating normally, but for me to like really start feeling normal while I was, you know, eating what I wanted. Yeah. That's such an important distinction to make is like the, the point when you can yeah transition to eating more normally, but then also the point when you're actually feeling how you want to feel yeah. <laughs> when eating those things. Exactly. And I, you know, I think people get really, really caught up in the symptoms. And unfortunately, I think you always have to keep in mind that the end goal is diversity and that's what's going to be the best thing for your overall gut health for prevention. And you kind of do have to muscle through or suffer through not like crazy, crazy symptoms, but you know, some uncomfortable things as your body kind of recalibrates and, um, you know, is able to, to cope with some of those foods again, you know, it doesn't necessarily always mean that you can't eat a food forever. If you have some reactivity, you really need like an aggressive, dramatic reaction in order to rule something out, you know, for good, um, more often than not a little bloating, like a little bit of like, you know, 
unfortunate bowels, like that's not always, you know, enough of a reason to rule something out. That just means there may be kind of a readjustment period. Mm, Yeah. Can you talk about that distinction a little more? Because I think sometimes like people who struggle with chronic digestive issues, there's almost like a little bit of kind of PTSD that comes with it when you are eating a really restrictive diet for a while, because that's, you know, what you think, or that that's what you have to do to heal, then transitioning back to incorporating more diversity in your diet can be anxiety producing, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, and there, therein lies the rub. There's the issue. (laughs) You know, sometimes these things become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And honestly, I think it's like for our body and for our mind, like the more we just like habitually eat things that we're not as used to, like the more, like, you know, the novelty wears off both like the fear and just like, you know, for our body, um, you know, we relearn how to make those enzymes to digest them better and whatnot. Um, but yeah, you know, a nutritionist will tell you that having a little bit of bloating or gas, like after a reintroduction is not a failed test. Like a failed test is like, you know, something really dramatic, like having to run to the bathroom and having like 24 hours of diarrhea Um, or, you know, feeling incredibly ill and nauseous and like, you're going to throw up. Um, You know, again, like sometimes it's just, there's just a readjustment period. And while that's not great and of course, everyone wants to feel a hundred percent, you know, that's aspirational and we can be happy with just 80% or can try to be. Yep. Absolutely. And, and what would you say to somebody about, um, you know, being on the restrictive portion of the diet during that, that more intensive kind of healing protocol, um, especially like a low FODMAP diet or something along those lines without becoming overly obsessive about restriction and, and the foods you're eating? Yeah. I would just remind everyone that it's not necessary. You know, there's no, nothing about diet in, uh, in the research that says it's going to make your SIBO, you know, go away for good or, you know, treat it any faster. It's really a, a method of managing symptoms. So that's why I'm kind of, you know, encourage people to like be okay with feeling a little bit uncomfortable because honestly, like there is, a hump in terms of, you know, getting from point A to point B, that's not always that fun. Um, but if you're just whittling down your diet to control symptoms, like you're not actually going to be getting better for the long term. You're just going to be making your world smaller and smaller. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like you said, that anxiety can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. And- yes. We all know if you've experienced gut issues before, then you know that stress makes them so, so much worse. <laughs> Totally. It's not fun. Not fun for anyone. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, this, this sort of philosophy or mantra that you have where you talk about healthy hedonism? Sure. Yeah. So this was kind of my guiding light during the wellness project, um, kind of figuring out the balance between what nourishes your body and what feeds your spirit. And it's definitely, you know, something that I would encourage to make your goal and your mantra when faced with any sort of, you know, period of healing and restriction, because unfortunately, as I just said, like it can make your world so much smaller and be a detriment to all of these other areas of wellness that are equally important, like 
your social wellness, your financial wellness. Um, and of course your mental wellness, you know, cause it's really, really hard, you know, to feel so stressed out about what you're eating all the time. And yeah. the reality is if you're stressing about what you're eating all the time, nothing on your plate, even if it's incredibly healthy, will actually be helpful for your system. Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what healthy hedonism is all about. And I always have to, you know, go back and forth in the balancing. You kind of have to find it every single day in the moment. Um, but I at least, you know, have my toolkit a little bit more honed to know, you know, what things really bring me pleasure and what things, you know, may be a little bit tough in the moment. Um, but actually make, you know, a huge difference, really move the needle for my physical wellness in a way that I know, you know, will allow me to do more of the things that make me happy. Um, and you know, it, it really changes as you age, as your body changes, like it's not something that you find like an exact formula for, um, it's just something that you have to constantly, you know, be in discovery of, I think. Yeah. And I think everybody's, um, discovery process and toolkit will be so individual and unique, but in, in case people maybe need some inspiration, what are some of the tools that you have in your toolkit that, that you found work the best for you? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> on the diet front, the things that, um, really move the needle physically for me are taking out caffeine, alcohol, and sugar. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was the first thing I did in the wellness project. It had the most night and day physical ramifications of anything. It was definitely something that made me miserable at times and, you know, needed a little, a little bit of balance on the hedonism scales in the other direction. But, you know, if I ever need a reset, that's kind of the first thing I do. I just do it for a week. And honestly, it really does help me reset. Um, not that I like go crazy on any of those vices normally I've found a lot more moderation in my life, but still like it kind of all adds up. And, um, as I said earlier, like your liver honestly is responsible for so much of your, your health that if you can just get out of your own way and give it time to rest, um, I usually see a huge improvement. So even though that is not, you know, very far in the hedonist side of the column at all, I do see a lot of physical um, benefits from that. And I have a course called four weeks to wellness and we always do it the week one. You know, I think a lot of these programs like whole 30 and even like low fondo diet, a lot of these like elimination diets um, that force you to kind of cook more from home and remove a lot of these vices anyway, it makes it really hard for you to hone in on what's moving the needle. And the reality is that it's often like these big guns that actually are making the difference, yeah. like cooking more at home and like not drinking or, you know, having so much coffee and added sugar is huge. Um, and then, totally. yeah, I mean, sleep for me is so, so necessary, um, in terms of de-stressing like meditation, if I can fit it in or, um, you know, 20 minutes of at-home yoga or a walk, that's huge for me. I do a lot of baths. <laughs> I like do a lot of heat therapy. I'd say I do, I have an infrared sauna blanket, which is, oh, me too. you know, yes. oh, it's that. my favorite thing. It's like the only kind of big bell and whistle I advocate for in wellness. Yeah. It's just because I love it. I don't say that everyone needs to buy this expensive sauna blanket, but it's been something that was very much like worth my money. I'd say, totally. For me. 
Yeah. And it's so relaxing too. It's like, you get oh, your yeah. little mini spa moment at home. Exactly. It was the MVP of quarantine. I tell everyone. Oh, totally. Yeah. Especially during winter time. I don't uh, know where you live, but it was, it was, yes, it was cold. Yeah, came in clutch. <laughs> Um, oh yeah. And I totally can relate to what you, you mean about the, the big guns. I personally, I've never really been a big drinker. So alcohol wasn't a tough one for me, but caffeine, oh man, I love caffeine. (laughs) I love, you know, being able to indulge in in a matcha or coffee, but my body doesn't love caffeine the way I do. (laughs) And it's hard. It's hard to have to like take out those things you love, but when you really do see that the benefit of it, it, it can kind of remind you why you're doing it. And then, like you said, it doesn't have to be permanent. You know, you can still like enjoy that thing you love every once in a while or however often it works for your body without needing to be so restrictive and then take those resets when you're feeling like you need them. Exactly. I would just do it for long enough so that you can actually feel like the awakening, like yep, the benefits. Like, yeah, this works. I get it. Like, <laughs> sometimes it takes people. I mean, I know because I've had like, you know, 800 people through my program. And like you said, you know, everyone is of those three of that trio. It's always it's always different for each person, yeah. like which the real pain totally. point is. Um, but, you know, especially the sugar, the the caffeine detox, depending on how much you have, like it can take a day or two, but with sugar is like really sneaky. Sometimes it takes like a full week to get out of the yeah. fog and you don't even realize, like you kind of assume it's like the caffeine, but it's not. Cause then on like day five, you're like, Oh, why am I still feeling like <laughs> a crazy person and like exhausted? Um, so and yeah, I, are you just talking processed sugars or are you also including like fruit sugars in there and natural sugars like honey, maple, dates, that kind of stuff? Just added sugar. So I okay. don't include whole, I, I include whole fruit as an okay thing to have. And like, certainly something that can feed your sweet tooth. It's really about like balancing blood sugar, which just mm-hmm. entails having some sort of fiber in the mix. Um, but yeah, even though I love maple syrup and honey, I think they're perfectly wonderful as part of a balanced diet, just in kind of dialing things back, um, just eliminating kind of all added sugar. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I know everybody kind of has a different philosophy in the gut health world about like which sugars are okay and which ones. I know, I know. (laughs) Yes. But I'm right there with you. If it's, if it's a natural sugar, it's okay in my book. Yes, totally. And this is just for the week. This like for, you know, the experiment, it's not, you know, what I advocate for, you know, on the day in a daily basis. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. So we've got that trio. You mentioned sleep quality, which is so, so important. What are, what are some of the other tools in your toolkit that you rely on? Yeah. I mean, some of the things are just like ongoing, like, or not even just like one-time changes that really helped me. Um, you know, putting a, a, a filter on my tap water and just like getting a lot of chemicals out of my personal care products. And mm. also just switching to more of a low waste lifestyle really has a positive halo effect, I think for your toxic burden and your health. Um, so that's really important for me and, you know, just like batch cooking and making sure I always have, you know, healthy food, at my fingertips, um, in the fridge. Cause you know, I'm just, even though I like cook for a living, I'm just as, you know, susceptible to the lure of convenience and takeout and, you know, just building in a few hours a week to make sure that I just have a few things, um, that are building blocks or just ready-made meals that are easy to heat up for my lunches and dinners, like makes life so much easier. Yeah. Going, taking that, that those extra steps to prepare can go such a long way for making you, well, first of all, just like 
supporting your mental health and knowing that like you don't have to stress you've already gotten everything uh prepped ahead of time and and the rest of your week can run a little more smoothly yeah and like i know exercise is a big prong for most people and like of course it's very important but i honestly think like getting outside is more important mm. like just walking for 20 minutes is like a completely worthwhile um yep. and mode of movement and it counts it counts as exercise yes walking absolutely counts and especially if you're in nature and and getting those yes. those negative ions outside so good for you um, that's all. Yeah. Such really helpful, simple practices that I think like you, you alluded to earlier, we might overlook, like you might not really think about the fact that you're not chewing your food properly or that you're not getting quite enough time in nature and, and just walking and moving your body. And it's so simple to incorporate and can make a really big impact. Yeah. I mean, and I think, People may say that's like harder, obviously, than buying a product or popping a pill, and it is. But I think, on the other hand, we're just not being sold that option on a con constant basis. That's like occupied our psyche as the answer. Yeah. Um, and the reality is, like, all of the tools are available to you. Most of them are free, and it's just a matter of figuring out how to work them into your life as a sustainable habit. Yep, absolutely. Changing your mindset from that quick fix, like magic bullet approach to, okay, what can I actually do to change my lifestyle in a way that's going to support long-term well-being is yeah. really, I can't recommend that enough. <laughs> Um, okay. So something, since you are a, an amazing chef and I had so much fun browsing through the recipes in your, in your books, you will made simple. I'd love you to talk a little bit about um, how people can make food that they really enjoy while recovering from something like SIBO or other GI issues or just, you know, chronic, chronic illness in general, um, because I think they, there can be a misconception that they're kind of doomed to eat like bland, boring foods, but it really doesn't have to be that way. No. And, you know, every therapeutic quote unquote diet is different. Like my advice for low FODMAP would be different than my advice for like AIP. All of these things are so restrictive, but no, I think, you know, first and foremost for all of them, if you can learn how to cook your food properly, like getting the proper sear on your meat, like caramelizing vegetables in the oven in a, in a way, like I, it sounds so cheesy, like from a chef perspective, but like there is built in flavor in your food. And if you can cook it properly and start with really good ingredients, you don't need that many bells and whistles. Um, but then, you know, for the low FODMAP front, you know, everything in your spice rack that doesn't include garlic and onion powder is fair game. And you can just turn the same meal into like many, many, many different meals just based on those combinations. Um, so I think that's a great tool and lots of fresh herbs. I mean, both those sides, like fresh herbs galore, um, can transform, you know, any boring dish into something really exciting and bright and flavorful. Um, and they're also incredibly good for you. Um, yeah. same with like fresh ginger, fresh lemon juice, and, you know, a lot of different condiments are still okay on these diets. Um, that can add a lot of flavor. I think getting really creative with different cuisines, um, especially since you're going to be eating out less or being able to resort to takeout less. Um, my book is like full of different influences from all over the world. Um, I guess in part, you know, in an effort to take advantage of all the different spice combinations, all the different condiment combinations. And yeah, I think it's really 
a matter of just opening your up, opening yourself up to, um, you know, recipes that are outside of your comfort zone. Um, because there's, there really is a whole world, a whole world of flavor out there. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what are some of your favorite healing recipes that you have in your rotation right now? Uh, so I'm like a big condiment person and marinade person. So I kind of always go back to like those kinds of templates. Um, there's a really good recipe in the book for this turmeric, um, dill catfish. It's actually like a Vietnamese recipe with a little bit of fish sauce and lime juice. And like, I just made it with a chicken sheet pan. Like, you know, you can kind of switch out the protein and all the vegetables on the sheet pan. And, you know, if you have just a couple of those, like really good, like marinade condiment combinations in your back pocket. Um, there's a lot you can do with them. I make a lot of like carrot ginger dressing, like you get at Japanese restaurants. Um, I use that as kind of like something to drizzle on top of bowls or as kind of like a marinade in and of itself, or just, you know, a dressing since we're kind of like back in salad season right now. Um, let's see what else. And, I make a lot of like pureed soups for when my, Mm. my gut's feeling kind of very fragile. I have, I'm going to make two of the ones from my book (laughs) this week. I mean, I really do have like a lot of my go-to recipes in there. One's this green detox soup, which is just like zucchini chard and, um, uh, and cilantro, a whole bunch of cilantro. It's Mm. so good. And then the orange remedy soup is like roasted carrots, and parsnips and Ooh. fresh ginger and a little Yum. coconut milk. And it's so good. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm such a big soup person too, all year round too. It doesn't just have to be in like the colder months. I'll do soup in the summer. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And like you too, I, well, I get a little bit more kind of fixated when it comes to the condiments. I'll find one that I absolutely love and then put it on everything. <laughs> like I was making this um, lemon dill cashew sauce for, for a Ooh. while. I would drizzle on veggies, on rice, like on anything I made, it went on top of it for, for like six months straight. Yum. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and uh, that's probably not great for the diversity that we were talking about <laughs> earlier, but yeah. <laughs> It's hard when you find something. That's okay. Um, you mixed and matched what came underneath it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, that's a great question. What do you, what's a kind of good rule of thumb when it comes to diversity in terms of how often people should be rotating the foods that they're consuming for optimal gut health? Uh, I mean, just as much as possible. Um, but I say, I think in the book, I would like try and do 40 different plants in a week, which may sound like a lot, oh, but yeah. you know, Every, there are a lot of things that are plants, like brown rice is a plant, like sesame seeds are a plant. Um, the that nabo ginger, that's a plant too. So you can you can kind of do that very easily by just having you know three different things at each meal. Um, the way that our meal prep works, and you know, it's time saving stuff that doesn't always happen. Um, so I try and and actually use a lot of frozen veggies. I feel like that's a really good way to hack it because mm. you can just siphon off really small um, portions of peas or broccoli or green beans, um, whatever it is, um, rice cauliflower, and have it be just a little bit more mixed and matched. That was kind of you know the best thing about the low FODMAP diet. And it's, you know, it can be a really difficult diet for people and cause a lot of disordered eating, but in its 
best application with like the best mindset, um, you can come out the other end, just really understanding that instead of the blue plate special, it's all about just having lots of smaller quantities of different things in your meals at any given time. Um, so like certain dishes, like stews or stir fries or sheet pan meals like that makes it a lot easier to just, you know, add in little bits of things. And so yeah. that's honestly like what the majority of my meals are usually it's yeah. something like that. Get kitchen sink recipe. Yep, exactly. It's like whatever's in the fridge, toss it in there. Yeah. And now I just try and like buy a lot of different veggies like to have in my crisper drawer. And just instead of using like all of the broccoli in one sitting, I'll, you know, throw in like one little head, you know, every single day, but with other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I've been getting in that habit as well lately, just like kind of doing a little bit of everything. So rather than just the broccoli stir fry, it'll be like broccoli and the snap peas and some green beans Mm -hmm. and whatever else is in there. That's awesome. I love that. There's um, so much good inspiration in your book too. I'm excited. I hope people pick up a copy so that they can read through all these recipes because I think you really break it down in such a digestible, (laughs) no pun intended way. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So yeah, if people want to learn more about, um, about, you know, either your book healing, um, healing digestive issues like SIBO or all of the work that you do, where can they find you? Sure. So my site, Feed Me Phoebe, is where I have a ton of free recipes, um, especially if you're looking for low FODMAP stuff, but you know, really anything in the gluten-free, healthy um, umbrella. And I also have my podcast, SIBO Made Simple, that you can find there. And then um, for the book, SIBO Made Simple, you can go to SIBOMadeSimple.com. And for my other book, The Wellness Project, you can go to TheWellnessProject.com. Okay, perfect. We'll be sure to link those in the show notes below as well for anybody who's listening to make it easier for you guys to go check her out because she's got lots of awesome stuff she's up to. Um, So the last question I love to ask everybody who comes on the podcast is typically because this is a wellness, uh, holistic wellness podcast, I I like to ask what... um, is one wellness practice or habit that you can't live without. I feel like you've already shared so (laughs) many. So if you want to share another, feel free. But I'd also love to end with asking you, what is one piece of advice you would leave somebody who's struggling with uh, chronic illness right now? Oh my goodness. Um, Well, let's see. My favorite practice right now, and it really does change, um, would definitely be sleep. I don't know. I'm just in like (laughs) something about like how the last year has like broken me and everyone else. It's just like, I now just stay in bed as long as I need, which I know not everyone has the luxury of doing, but if you can, I think it kind of is coupled with just the advice of being really gentle with yourself and listening to your body and actually giving it what it needs. I mean, so many of us are like, God, I've just been like so tired recently. I felt really run down. I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know if it's my allergies this time of year or what have you, but whatever it is, you know, you can just allow yourself to like, take a little, take it easy, take a little break. Maybe don't do the intense cardio for a week and, um, you know, try and, and level up your, your diet a little bit more so that you're adding some things that really add some necessary nutrients. 
Um, and then, oh goodness, my one piece of advice. I mean, I guess I'd have to come back to that, like one step forward, two steps back. I mean, that is what any healing journey is. That's what living with chronic illness is. Unfortunately, like there is no finish line and there is, I think a lot of people's books and a lot of doctors who are like peddling certain programs or whatnot can give you the false belief that, you know, remission is, is the end goal and that there is, you know, kind of <laughs> some six, some place of success. That means you're going to be totally over this. I, I just don't know that many people that that's completely true for. Um, I think it's completely possible to reach a point where you have a much higher quality of life and, you know, never, or, you know, not so easily fall back into kind of like the deep bottom that a lot of us have found ourselves in. Um, but I also think it's, you know, can be really frustrating and not so helpful to kind of preach, um, that again, like hundred <laughs> percent symptom relief, hundred percent goal. Um, a lot of us again can be perfectly happy and live really wonderful lives at lives at 80%. Yeah. Yeah. And really just to take it day by day. That's so important. Exactly. Thank you so much for sharing that. And and for everything you've shared on this show today, I think it's going to be so helpful for anybody who's struggling with chronic illness, digestive issues, or just trying to navigate some sort of health concern in their body to know that, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to make your food delicious and that there's lots of, lots of different silver linings that can be pulled from the healing journey itself. Yes. No, I was so happy to chat about all this. Yeah. And um, like I said, for everybody who's listening, definitely go check out her Phoebe's books and her website and all the things um, that she shares, which are so, so helpful and um, amazing. And yeah, thank you again for coming on today, Phoebe. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. To everybody who's listening, if you know somebody who might benefit from hearing this episode, please feel free to share the link with them so that they can tune in as well. And as always, until next time, have a happy and healthy day. 